What's up, y'all? This is John and Sean back for another episode of the Nothing Finder podcast. And this is going to be, we'll just call it bi-week extravaganza. We're going to talk about recruiting, a couple of the games this weekend, talk about some uh, interesting stats and all that kind of stuff for the rest of the season. Um, and then if anyone's still listening at the end, I might might go over some Formula One stuff because... Honestly, with the way the NFL has played out this season, it's probably going to be more interesting to watch the race than some of those games. Just uh, just throwing that out there. And you could always see me on TV. So that would be fun. <laughs> so I, I think we should just go ahead and get into it here. Um, let's, let's roll. Let's get it. Start off with recruiting. And the dogs have gotten some big-time recruits over the last few weeks that we're going to talk about. And um, a very good friend of the show gave us some exclusive news. He is a future dog. He's a guy that we've talked about quite a bit on this show. Um, he's on Instagram as the ja Jarrett, Jamil Jarrett, uh, defensive tackle out of the Greensboro, North Carolina area. He is officially enrolling early in December, um, and that's he has the talent, the physical makeup of a guy that can be the next Jordan Davis, and I know that's a very tall task to live up to, but if I remember right, kid's like 6'5", and just an absolute monster. He was uh, he was selected for the Under Armour All-American game last week. Uh, great guy. We talked to him quite a bit through our social media stuff. Hopefully looking to try and get him on the show sometime after the high school season's up. So we, uh, we're really excited about that. And, you know, if you're listening, we are very, very, very excited to see you play in, in Athens because I, if I had to pick right now, I'd say day one caliber. It just, I've, I've seen very few high school guys able on every down to just blow up the offensive lineman in front of him. And it's it's never a battle. Like, he comes off the ball and he's throwing guys. Insane. And what was his full name again? Jamil Jarrett. Check that out. Yeah. No, he's uh, he uses Instagram a lot. He's, uh, like I said, we talked to him on Instagram quite a bit. Um, Awesome. Awesome kid. Awesome player was super super excited about him coming to Athens and now that he's coming early he'll have that full spring workout to uh to be able to get in touch for next season but now that we got that out of the way sorry Wes I know we wanted to talk about that together but we're doing a recruiting segment here so I, I couldn't couldn't leave it you can be mad at me later I can pretend to be West and make some apple cider if I need to. <laughs> you got to – it's got to be snowing where you're at if you're going to be West right now, so. I mean, I'm in Pennsylvania. It's in, like, the 40s. It's supposed to be 41 degrees tonight in Savannah. Lord have mercy. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to that. But since the season has started, the Dogs have picked up three recruits, all four stars. We're going to go ahead and start talking about them. Order of commitment. And first up, uh, what's up? So uh, I read an interesting stat before you get into detail about them. And I know this is going to be you know, may maybe a little different, but according to Dog Nation Daily, 
Georgia now has five public commitments for the class of 2024, all on offense. Oh, I think I wasn't Kirby even planning Smart, on talking about 2024 commits. I know, right? I think Kirby Smart might have bumped his head. <laughs> anyway, hey, I know that's not what we were talking about, but I felt that was worth a, uh, a mention. No, it, it, yeah, had no idea. I, I try to only look at what's coming directly ahead with recruiting because so many players commit and decommit. And, but that's awesome. I love hearing that, especially with all the, uh, you can always help at wide receiver. But getting back over here to Tyler Williams, four star wide receiver, stands six foot three, 200 pounds. He is the 22nd ranked wide receiver in the country out of Lakeland, Florida, which, if you don't know, just outside of Orlando, which is supposed to be Florida's, Florida's stomping grounds. But uh, Kirby hadn't let that happen here lately. Tyler Williams turned down the schools, the four biggest schools that were recruiting him Clemson. USC Junior, so the Gamecocks over there in the East, Texas A&M, and Alabama to come play between the hedges. And uh, if you have not watched his tape, he's fast. And not not just – he's not Arian Smith fast, but uh, Lakeland is not a, is not a small, lower-end, like lower-tier – uh, division in football, like they they play teams, and his highlight tape is just him 10, 15 yard separation. Like he is burning entire teams. He returns kicks, closest guys 15 yards behind him. He's broke free at the 40. Takes it takes handoffs end around right to the house. And craziest thing about this guy, he's only in his second year playing receiver. He was the third string quarterback. And they were like, man, you're too good of an athlete. You Like, we need you on the field. And now he's a four-star wide receiver committed to the reigning national champions. And uh, I'm I'm super excited to see what this guy can turn into. I just – way early prediction. I don't know how early he'll play in his freshman year if he does play, and just because he hasn't played wide receiver that long, the routes and all that kind of stuff. But once he gets his route running squared away – He'll um if he can stay healthy, he's got he's got first round draft pick potential. I, I think hundred percent. I can agree with that. And I think, you know, he's a go getter. I mean, it takes a lot of uh you know, I've never met anybody that wanted to be a, a big time quarterback that changed positions that wasn't, you know, selfless and doing the best thing for their team and their future. So kudos to him for that. Um he is a pretty good route runner considering you know, like you said, he's only been doing this for two years. Um, obviously, some room for improvement that he'll get his senior year and probably his first year at Georgia. Um, you know, from the video and, and, and highlights that I watched, he, he struggles a little bit in separation on shorter routes. Right. But if he, can, if he can take the top off and go, he's got not Arian Smith's speed, but he, he's fast. And, you know, all the clips I saw, if he gets 10, 15 yards downfield, he's gone. Oh yeah, and, and, and that's at six something, three, he's doing that. Yeah, and that's something big Georgia needs. Um, you know, we we've got a great offense. We we move the ball really well. Uh, Carson Beck's got a cannon. Um, oh yeah, but we need somebody that's got that speed um, that can stay healthy. Uh, that 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 that's not gonna you know be a question mark every week. 
Um, but yeah, he makes plays. Uh, he, he's a selfless guy that seems to put team first, and that's that's the type of people we like to to put on our team and associate with. Yeah, no, I'm I I know I said it a minute ago, but I am I am super excited to see this guy play in Georgia. And if he enrolls early, I am ecstatic to see what he can do at G Day. Because he sure. he's he's that kind of player that if you're not paying attention when he starts making plays, you're gonna be like, Whoa, where did this kid come from? Yeah. Uh, he he kind of strikes me as a uh a Pickens impact. When he's yes. out there, you're going to know. Yes. He's the kind of guy that – that um, – oh, I lost my train of thought. He's a game changer for sure. Yes. So now we're going to move over into the flip that Georgia got a couple weeks back. Georgia flipped Roderick Robinson II from UCLA. He is the number 13 running back in the country, number one running back in the state of California. But if you watch this guy's tape, there's no way that there are 13 running backs in high school that are better than this guy. He, If you went on to Madden and made a running back everything you want, it's this guy. Like, you just built the guy that's coming to play in, at Georgia. I don't know. I mean, may, maybe one thing, he, he does have a little bit of a baby face. Maybe, maybe he needs a beard or something. <laughs> He's not very intimidating in the face. Hey, you know who else has got a baby face? Georgia's all-time leading rusher, Nick Chubb. That's fair. But hey, if you watch this guy's highlight tape, and I, I really, truly – recommend watching his highlight tape. And there's a guy, he's gotten big on social media. Um, I want to say he goes by Thaddeus. He did a breakdown of this guy, like a comedy breakdown of Roderick's tape. And uh, it it's worth the watch. But this guy, he hits the hole with violence. Like yeah. he doesn't, he doesn't just find a hole and work his way through it. He, he's got half a hole and he's going to run up, make you miss in the phone booth, stiff arm, the running back, and then run past the defensive backs. And this is out in California. There's no real cupcake levels of football in California. And he, through half of his senior season, five games, right, 84 carries, just under 1,100 yards in five games. It's nuts. And I mean, and, and, I don't think enough attention is paid to the significance of the flip. I mean, he's a California kid. UCLA is actually running the ball now. They've yeah. got a uh, they, they got a Charbonnet or however you say his name. Um, the bottle of wine guy. Yeah, he's he's. I was gonna go. Yeah, you know, anyway, he's on pace to be a thousand yard rusher. I mean, so this is a big deal for for this commitment for Georgia. And you know, so. I don't know if you looked up any stats uh, on him as far as his, his numbers or anything as far as the last game against uh, Capital Christian. Um, now, mind you, I don't know a whole lot about Capital Christian. I probably know nothing other than what I'm about to tell you. Uh, but you hit the nail on the head. You know, it's California. We're not talking cakewalks here. Um, Roderick only played the first half, and he only got eight attempts rushing the ball. 
but he put up 186 yards and four touchdowns. Yeah. 50% mm-hmm. of the time, if you handed him the ball, he was scoring. And yeah. obviously that's not going to translate, you know, you know, yard for yard to the next level, but goodness, I mean, that's just, I, I, I anybody we recruit to our team that has half those stats. I'm like, let's go. Yeah. No, I, like I said a minute ago, if there are 13 running backs in the country that are better than this guy, I would love to see it. Because yeah. I, I, I think when they update the stats, I think they do it right around championship weekend. I think they update the rankings. I I don't think there's any way he's not top five, maybe top ten running back in the country. I mean, he's just – like I said, w- watch the tape. There, watch, watch the tape. Yeah, but, you won't be disappointed. No. I did try to find like a 40 time or something like that, and I couldn't. But the stat that I did find is uh, he ran a 52.8 second 400 meter. And for anybody who doesn't know, 400 meters is a quarter of a mile. It's one lap around a regular track, right? So he would run just under a four-minute mile if he was able to keep that pace. And not only that, but he runs through people at that pace. I don't RBE yeah. for a reason. Yeah, I don't know what else to say other than go, go watch some of this guy's tape. Like you will not regret it. I promise you, you will not regret spending five minutes watching Roger Robinson and his high school tape. So the commitment that Georgia got the other day, and I've actually seen some Georgia fans that were a little disappointed by this one, and I could not disagree more. Uh, Ryan Puglisi, I it's one of those names that you only hear up north that I cannot pronounce. I'm going with Pug. Yep. Um, he's out of, I want to say, Connecticut. Um. He's listed as a four-star on some sites, a three-star on others. But has Todd Munkin missed on a three-star evaluation? Just taking the low end of this. If Todd Munkin says, yep, that's my guy as a three-star, he doesn't miss, right? I mean, we had Lad McConkey, three-star. A.D. Mitchell, three-star. They're the two best wide receivers we've got on this roster right now. They were both three stars. It doesn't miss. And uh, Pug, good arm strength, but he's not the Joe Milton, Anthony Richardson arm strength. He puts some touch. He puts some touch on a pass when needed. He throws fades. He's accurate. There's multiple passes in this guy's tape where you see him throw a ball and you're like, oh, that was a bad pass until you realize he was double covered. He threw it at the guy's hip and he was the only one able to catch it. That's the kind of stuff that you can work with at the next level because we see guys like Joe Milton, Anthony Richardson that are freak athletes, but they don't know how to translate the athleticism into skill. And you can translate skill into more skill. Yeah, I uh... I, I can't say this enough. I'm with you. You know, first off, Todd Munkins admitted he doesn't really like recruiting. It's not yep. his favorite part. So if he's willing to say, hey, this guy's my guy, I don't care if he's three, four, two, whatever, he's the guy. And I, I don't really have a whole lot to say about Pug 
other than this, he can throw a football 73 yards and he can throw a baseball 93 miles an hour. Oh, yeah, and you hit the nail on the head. He's also got some touch on his passes. And let's just wait till he gets, you know, some time in Todd Munkin's system and some actual development. Yeah. I mean, it's it's Stafford's arm with somebody else's athleticism, you know, that the dude's the dude's got the potential to be a stud and he's got the time. Yes. You know, with what Kirby's building, he's not coming in having to start day one. You know, we've got a solid quarterback room and you know, something smart said all the time since day one is, you know, look, we uh you know, we want competition at every spot. This is the first season that I've ever seen Kirby Smart have a quarterback that's like named the starter. And, you know, this is something good that Pug can develop and compete in and, you know, get take his talents to the next level for sure. And I I personally hate the quote iron sharpen iron because our iron does not sharpen iron. I don't know if any of you guys know about knives, but that's quite literally not how that works. <laughs> um but when you've got a guy like this who has all of the skill but not necessarily a ton of athleticism go into a room with Gunnar Stockton, five-star quarterback, extremely mobile, knows how to evade a pass rush. Brock Vandegrift, very mobile, another big arm, knows how to evade a pass rush. Carson Beck, what next year will be his is next year a senior season? I believe, junior? I believe it's a junior. Next year is his junior season. He's only been in the Todd Munkin offense, and we saw what he can do on Saturday. When you've got all these guys with all these different skill sets that, yes, it's competition, but we know this at Georgia, every player helps every other player because the team is more important than me. So, I, I – as much as I'm excited to see what Gunnar Stockton, Carson Beck, Brock Vandegrift are able to do, you know, come three or four years down the road, I, I think Pug's going to be – he's definitely going to be pushing any of these guys for playing time. And uh, Carson Beck is a redshirt sophomore. COVID, COVID season. Yep. So Carson Beck has three years of eligibility left. Well, and 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 I'm I'll be at the I'll admit I'm not sure. I don't think the COVID season was a red shirt. I think the COVID see the COVID just gave you an extra year of eligibility. So if I'm not mistaken, he could have a couple more years. Not that hopefully that won't be the case, and he'll put up numbers and go pro and all that good stuff. But he could have yeah. a couple yeah. years. Yeah. Potentially three years of eligibility left for Carson Beck, and we saw what he was able to do on Saturday. That's um, it's not a bad look. Yeah, against a real-time defense, and I get it, Bandy's not world beaters, but it's an SEC defense. Um, and Beck went out there, you know, with limited time and almost – you have to ride at 100 yards? Right at 100 yards. He went eight for 11, um, either one or two touchdowns, I don't remember. But we're not breaking down last week's game. We're about to break down this week's games. Um, man, man, I, I just I'll give you a high five for that transition there. That was seamless. <laughs> I typically have uh, scenes you can see from outer space on my transition, so I appreciate that. 
So this week, um, we're starting off in the Big 12 again. And if if you don't like good offensive football, I'm sorry. This might not be the podcast for you because uh, this season I am a big Big 12 fan. Multiple overtime games, multiple games scoring 80 to 100 points. That's what I like to see. I, when I come home and just kind of want to zone out for a minute because I had a long day at work, throw on one of these Big 12 games that, you know, 40 to 45 or something like that, love it. But the one we're talking about is number 17, Kansas State, at number 8, TCU, the Battle of the Purples. TCU is currently a three-and-a-half-point home favorite with the over-under at 58-and-a-half. And it seems like every time I say this, Vegas is right. How is the over-under that low? I don't – It doesn't make sense. It's almost like – it's almost like that. obviously they do, but they know something we don't know. Yeah, I don't I, – and some Vegas stats for you here. TCU has hit the over three out of their last five games. Kansas State has hit the over in two out of their last five games. Both of these teams are four and one against the spread in their last five. I'm liking that over. I I really like the over. Um, TCU, like we said in the episode earlier this week, help us, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're our only hope. Big 12 at TCU. Because um, every other team in the Big 12 has lost at least one game. Um, Stats about TCU. They are third in total offense, but 90th in total defense, which is the most Big 12 stat I have possibly ever heard. Um, Kansas State is much more middle of the pack in both of those stats. 63rd in total offense. And somehow they are 45th in total defense, which to me for a one-loss Big 12 team, that I mean, that I would take that, especially being Kansas State who hit their season win total over under in week three, you know. Right. Um, all of that being said, I think I'm going with the horny lizards at home. I think they're going to win and cover on this one. Yeah, also – I mean, can we just say one of the top ten worst mascots? I mean, who gets excited to be a lizard? Like, I guess the well, they're the horn frogs, which horn. frogs aren't actually lizards. <laughs> That's fair, but That's fair. That's fair. But still, I mean, it, and to make matters worse, they're purple. They're purple horny toads. Uh huh. But anyway, so yeah, like I, I'm, I'm with you. Um, TCU's offense is just, I mean, it's about as solid as you can get. They, uh, they've they averaged over 500 yards of offense per game um, and fairly balanced, actually, with about 300 coming in the air and just over two coming on the ground. Um, Max Duggan uh, has been really good, uh, 16 touchdowns passing and just one pick. Uh, he's And I, I forget the website, guys, but full disclosure, obviously I stole these stats from somebody else that has more spare time. Um, but he's got a a QBR of, of over 85. I think it was 86, 87. Um, you know, just solid. And the running game has been elite behind Miller, uh, who averages 6.4 yards per carry. Um, 
guys, if you got a running back averaging six yards a carry, um, that, that that's just solid. Really opens things up for the the passing attack. You know, TCU's defense is actually not as good as as Kansas State's, but the offense kind of makes up for it. Um, the pass rush for TCU is is, is really going to be ineffective, um, but their I think their their run defense is good enough to kind of make uh, Kansas State be one dimensional um, and, and really really help out there. Um, I'm with you. Give me three and a half. Give me TCU. I think their offense finds a way. I think it's going to be a game. Uh, truly, I think it's going to be kind of reminiscent of, of Tennessee and Bama last week, where whoever gets the opportunity to get the ball last is going to yeah. win this game. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. It's uh, the battle of the purples. Never thought I would be this excited about a TCU-Kansas State game in my <laughs> entire life, but whew, it's going to be a good one. And I think the over is free money. I just yeah, I mean, I, 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 while you were talking, I pulled up some some you know injuries. I mean, Kansas State's got a linebacker that's out, Sean Robinson, and Oklahoma State has got. Wait, that doesn't help. Um, yep, you can edit that part out. But yeah, I don't <laughs> see any big any big injury or any big anything that's going to make a difference there for that. I would not you know spend all of my wife's money on the over. <laughs> all money is the wife's money, right? Amen. Hey, she's a new listener, by the way. So shout out to my oh, wife. Shout out Sean's wife. And somehow I still don't know your name. It's Jessica. Shout out Jessica. So, you know, we went from Battle of Orange to Battle of the or Battle of the Purple to Battle of the Orange. Number 14, Syracuse. And I be 100 percent honest, I don't pay a, t- a lot of attention to ACC football because most of the time it's awful. But Syracuse is number 14, and they're playing at number five, Clemson. Clemson is a 13-and-a-half-point home favorite in this wildly unexpected top 15 matchup. The over-under is at 51-and-a-half. And you may have looked this up because I sent you the outline a little while ago, but if at the beginning of the season – I told you that for Syracuse-Clemson, one of these teams would have the number eight total defense in the country, and one would have the number 30 total defense in the country. Which one would you have picked to have number eight? Well, I mean, I would would have picked Clemson. Syracuse has a number eight defense in the country. How, How deceiving is that stat, though? What is there? I don't, I'll admit, I'm with you. I don't, I'm not a big orange fan, and that's not the color. That's the school. So, what so, did they play? They held Louisville to seven points. They gave up 29 points to Purdue. Um, they beat NC State, only allowing nine points, did not allow a single touchdown to NC State. They beat Virginia 22-20, and then they beat Wagner 59-0. But, uh, oh, and Syracuse is coming off. Or, no, they played NC State last weekend. My bad. The schedule so I, that I was looking at just showed so, that they didn't so, play last week. So maybe it's just me, but I struggle with being the top eight-ranked defense giving up 400 yards through the air to Purdue. 
It's because they held everyone else so low. Yeah, and that's fair. might be a hot take. I think Aiden O'Connell is a better passer than DJ Uyunglele. Mm. Might be a hot take. You going just, on record for that one? I think Aiden O'Connell is a better pure passer than DJU. I think if Aiden O'Connell had the talent around him that DJU did last season, Clemson made the playoff last year. Hmm. Just, just, just throwing that out there. Aiden O'Connell has, and we're getting into a Purdue deep dive here unintentionally, but <laughs> I'm here for it. Aiden O'Connell is his average for his average passing yards last season. I'm trying to find it here. Last season, Aiden O'Connell did not start every game for Purdue. 3,700 yards. They played seven games so far this year, and he is almost at 2,000 yards passing. His average yards per pass is 7.2. And he's got a cannon. Yeah, I can see it. I don't think it's that big of a stretch. And don't get me wrong, DJU's been much better this year than he was last year, but I've still seen him in the games that I've watched miss some guys that shouldn't have been missed. Oh, and also going back on to Purdue, we can't forget that Purdue beat Tennessee in the bowl game last year. Just, just going to toss that one out there. You just like poking the bear, don't you? I love poking the bear. But this, uh, this Syracuse... Clemson game has been a good rivalry over the last few years. Uh, going back to 2017, um, they beat Clemson in Syracuse. It was in the Dome. And then right after that, in 2018, Syracuse only lost by four points in a very close game that, if I remember right, came down to – a missed touchdown like in the last minute or two by Syracuse. And then they only lost by three points last year. Once again, it was at home. I just, with how well Syracuse's defense has performed in their offense with former Mississippi State quarterback Garrett Schrader, I, I think that... I'm going to take Clemson to win, but I've got the orange cover in 13 and a half. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely think Clemson wins. Um, and and I'll be, I'll be honest uh, ever since last season, um, I've been very skeptical of DJU. I didn't think he was as talented as he was touted to be. However, what I will say is I'm starting to come around and become a believer. Um, he, he's much more solid this year. Look at the numbers he put up against Wake and NC State. Um, he's over 1,600 yards with 17 touchdowns and just two picks. Um, they've all, Clemson's also kind of got the run game going with Shipley, um, who I think is close to 600 yards. Um, run blocking has been a problem for Shipley, but he's a playmaker. He can find those holds. He can, he can create that offense. Um, 
And Clemson's allowed an average of, of about 83 yards per game on the ground. So if Syracuse wants to succeed, I, I think they're going to have to throw the ball a little bit more than they're comfortable with. And I think I think Schrader's going to make a few mistakes uh, late in the game trying to make a play. Uh, and I think that's going to push Clemson to the top. So I, give me Clemson, and uh, I think they cover the 13 and a half. So you got Clemson to cover. I love having differences on these shows. We shall see, but yeah, I, I think Clemson covers, and I, I think it'll happen late. Like I said, I think Schrader will, will try to force the ball, um, and, and the Clemson defense will will make a play. Okay, I can't I can't necessarily argue with that, but I do think I don't know how you feel about it. I don't know if I'm liking the over on this one though. Oh no, 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 no! This is a this is an under game. I can yeah. see this being like a 21-17, maybe yeah. like 28-21. But for this next game, we have number nine UCLA at number 10 Oregon. And this potential Pac-12 championship game rematch is going to be the site for college game day this week up in Eugene. Um, Oregon, although they have one loss, is a six-point home favorite, and this is this is a good over/under for me. I I think seventy and a half is right along where this one's going to be. So I was I was literally waiting on you to. You know, I, I scrolled up. I was gonna whatever you said. I was gonna say over, over. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know. I mean, I think mm, that's actually tougher than the other two. Yes. 70 and a half seems very, uh, very accurate for I this think one. You almost got to go under that old principle. That's a lot of points. Life short, take the over. <laughs> Fair. So, both of these are top 12 offenses, and Oregon is actually ranked ahead of UCLA. Oregon at eight, UCLA at 12. And that's Oregon making up for yards they didn't get after that demolition job in Atlanta in week one. And I've, I've said it before, and it's one of my favorite current stats. Oregon has an average margin of victory of 25 points. Bo Nix has looked like an actual quarterback and a good one at that. And right? um, I, I would love to just take like a, uh, a Gallup poll of Auburn fans and see what percentage would love to have Bo Nix in Auburn right now. Because I'm sure it would be close to 100%. Yeah, he, he's looked like a different person. Um, and, you know, a different person from when he was at Auburn, but also a different person from week one. Um, you take the Georgia game out of it and, like, I don't – don't I'm not jumping to uh, – um, big conclusions here, but like I, I could, the numbers he's putting up is puts him in, in Heisman contention. Like again, I don't think he would win, but you take that Georgia game out of it. Bo Nix looks pretty solid. Yeah, no, he since week one he has looked like the quarterback that he's always been capable of being. And what I'm sure this pisses off every Auburn fan that knows about it. Oregon's current. Offensive coordinator was the one of the offensive coordinators under Gus Malzahn that Gus would not let call plays. So this was potentially 
the Auburn offense in twenty. I want to say it was twenty nineteen. This is potentially the Auburn offense. Just, just a moment of silence for all of the War Plains Tigers that are screaming right now. But that's tough to swallow. Yep. Yep. With a defensive-minded head coach, they've been able to do this too, which is the hate on defensive-minded head coaches just blows my mind as long as uh, that's a that's a rant for another time. But <laughs> UCLA has the 33rd ranked total defense going against this high-flying Oregon offense. And this is – I've said it many times on this show – one of my favorite bets of the entire season is Bo Nix at least one touchdown. And because UCLA has a good rushing defense, they're 16th in the country, I think the odds on that are going to be a lot better this week than they have been. So, obviously, only gamble what you're comfortable with. Don't do anything I tell you to if you don't want to do it. I'm, um, I'm putting – putting a little bit down on Bo Nix to get at least one touchdown, personally. But I'm also... I don't see that being a long shot. The only thing that causes me a little bit of hesitancy is UCLA has been able to get to the quarterback and they have a good rush defense. Well, when you say one, you mean one passing or just one touchdown, period? Period. Yeah, I, I, I... I think Bo Nix is mobile enough that, you know, if he can get outside that pressure, he can make a scramble for a, you know, a rushing touchdown. And that's, that's kind of my gamble on that is I think he'll be capable of getting at least one with his legs. But for my overall pick on this game, I'm going my heart. I'm taking the ducks to win, taking the ducks to cover. And if that over comes down to 68, Probably gonna hit the over. Yeah, man, I want to be right there with you. I, I I love Dan Lanning. I think he's a damn good dog. I, I want to. Uh, I don't know, man. UCLA just got a terrific rushing attack um, with that Chardonnay guy. Um, the Bruins also have a, a really good secondary. Oh, this is tougher than I thought. Give me UCLA in the six. To win outright or just to cover? To win outright. Oh, two differences. I love it. I think that's going to be a good game. And I'm actually looking forward to uh, catching some of the highlights of game day at Eugene because it's going to be pitch black still when they open it up at 6 a.m. Yeah, for sure. Oh, man, I don't feel very confident about that one, but I'm sticking with my guns. (laughs) All right, guys, that's going to do it for us uh, breaking down some games this weekend. This is kind of a light slate. This is the time of year where a lot of the big teams have bye weeks, um, and those were really the best top 25 matchups. So Alabama-Mississippi State's also a a top 25 matchup, but – Alabama's history against the air raid is one of very, very, very few touchdowns on the air raid side. Um, and Bama coming off of a loss. I uh, That's it. 
I, I was going to say, I don't even, I don't think it matters who they're playing. I don't know the stats off the top of my head, but I, I don't know that Saban's ever lost two in a row. Maybe his first year when they went six, they went what six and six, seven and five. His first year, something like that. But I still don't know if they lost two in a row. Now I got to go look it up. But um, so now we're going to get into kind of a rest of the season look ahead. I know we did a little bit of it last week, but I did some did some more research, and we're going to talk about some stats, and then on some of these games, I'm going to kind of ramble on about what I think these stats mean for what Georgia has to do in those games. Um, and one of the best indicators, to me at least, on how a good how good a team really is and how close in efficiency their offense and defense are together is yardage differential. And it's very self-explanatory, but I'm going to explain it anyways. Yardage differential is where you take the number of yards that a team has gained and you subtract how many yards that team has given up. So, for example, Georgia is plus 1,956 yards on the season, meaning that Georgia has gained 1,956 more yards than they have allowed. Um. So for the rest of the season, we're going to go game by game on the SEC opponents. I will we'll talk about Georgia Tech a little bit too, but you'll see why I don't think it's that much of a conversation when we get down to it. Um, start off with Florida, the post bye week opponent. Florida is plus two in yardage differential meaning that while Georgia has gained almost 2,000 yards more than they have given up, Florida has gained two yards more than they've given up in the entire season. That's bad. That's very bad. It, and I think that just goes to how hot and cold Anthony Richardson is, how mistake-prone he is, and just how the Florida defense isn't isn't very good and I know a lot of people are probably going to say that's biased, so I'll actually pull the stat up while Sean talks about his take on this Florida. You're muted. Sorry, had to grab my iPad charger, so I muted myself. But, yeah, obviously we're, we're a little biased, you know, when it comes to, to the Gators. I think every dog fan's a Gator hater first. But, yeah, Florida's just I, – I feel like they're a team that – puts it all on the line and gives it all they have. But all they have just doesn't really compete with most teams in the SEC. Um, I feel like when Anthony Richardson doesn't have to try to do too much, he's a pretty good quarterback. But unfortunately, he just doesn't have the weapons around him. I, I just don't see how Florida is, is going to gonna hang with Georgia. And honestly, I feel like when, when we go to attack um, – Florida, I think you're going to see a lot more just running the ball right at them, wearing them down, and just milking the clock. It's going to be kind of, you know, if, if we go back to like first year Dan Mullen, when Georgia just dominated that one, I think that's going to kind of be what it's, we're going to jump out to an early lead and just run the ball down their throat because they don't have the talent to stop it. Their defense, and you got the stats there, I don't think their defense could, you know, stop the girls' team, honestly. 
So the Florida defense is ranked 106th in total defense. Out of how many? Averaging 106. Out of how many? 131. This Florida defense is allowing right at six yards of play. 5.96 yards per play is what this Florida defense is allowing. They have given up more touchdowns than they have scored. And it's not very – given up 429 yards a game. That's – like I said, point blank, that's just bad. That – and they don't have the offense to make up for it, unlike the next team we're going to talk about, which is. Well, you are two I, for two. You are two for two this week with smooth transitions. Somebody's finding a stride. It only took me twenty-two episodes to figure that out. <laughs> so next, you know, we're talking about the Super Bowl champions, World Series champions, it, champions of life, you could say. Um, Ooh, throwback, throwback burn. Tennessee. So, Tennessee, high-flying offense, right? We saw it last week against Alabama. I, I can actually save you some time on this one. If you go on Facebook, Tennessee's playing Alabama in the SEC championship, so we don't actually have to play any more games. We've already lost this one. Oh, okay, cool. I'm, I'm so glad that we could save the time. And if that's the case, then I'll just, you know, sell my tickets that I've got to that game that are currently on the secondary market for $1,000 a piece. Ooh. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It, it, if you know me personally, you know I am one of the most diehard dog fans you will ever find. But $1,000 a piece not only would pay for my season tickets by selling one game, pay for the entire season with one game. But I would have a significant amount of money left over. So, look, I mean, if, if, if that's the route you go, which I don't think you should because I'm going to be at that game. But if that's the route you go. Are you go, sure this time? Shut up. <laughs> it's my birthday weekend. I got to be there. Just make sure you don't sell them to a Tennessee fan. Oh, no. And something something funny about that. If you're in any UGA secondary ticket Facebook groups, and if you're not, I highly recommend it, but you're going to have to wait a couple weeks because most of them are no longer accepting members because so many Tennessee fans immediately after that game got on Facebook and tried to get into these groups. And the best part is there were a significant amount of fake profiles made because Tennessee fans know that we're not selling to Tennessee fans. I have seen people get banned from Facebook groups that are Georgia fans that have been like, oh, yeah, I gave my tickets to two family members of mine that are Tennessee fans. Banned. You're not selling your tickets on this group anymore. I love it. I'm here for it. Because yeah, I mean, if you think about it, it's exactly what we did in Long Bend a few years back. We turned that, that stadium red, and the last thing we want to do is do that against Tennessee. Oh, yeah. And, I mean – LSU didn't show up to that game. There were something like 20-plus thousand Tennessee fans in Death Valley a couple weeks ago. And the problem with that is um, Tennessee fans have somehow gotten louder and more annoying, and there would be a lot of arrests in Athens if 30,000 Tennessee fans made their way to the Classic City. Be a lot of arrests. And I would, 
honestly, I'd probably walk myself around in handcuffs because it's hard to fight when you got handcuffs on. I just go ahead and restrain myself before it gets done for me kind of thing. It's also hard to win if you have handcuffs on, so be smart about that. <laughs> but back to the yardage differential here. We've got Tennessee has gained 754 more yards than they've given up, which, you know, going back to Georgia's yardage differential, Georgia's 1,956 in the green. And Tennessee, who, like we said a minute ago, they won They won the Super Bowl, World Series, World Cup. They've already won it all. Um, they've only gained 754 more yards than they've given up. And of those 754 yards, 659 of those yardage differential yards were from rushing, meaning that they only have 95 more passing yards than they've allowed. And why I said that and put that into context. They played Ball State, right? They played another nobody team. They played a pit team with a backup quarterback. They played Anthony fucking Richardson and gave up 453 passing yards. Yes, they've got this high-flying offense, but they give up just under 100 yards less than they get through the air. And... All that to say, their rushing attack is good. Point blank simple. Hendon Hooker's averaging like 55 yards a game on the ground. That's that's good for a quarterback that's not necessarily dual threat, you know. Um, But last week, and Tennessee was already way down in the past rankings, past defense rankings. They fell one spot after the Alabama game. They're now 129th out of 131 teams in pass defense. And the two teams below them are Vanderbilt and Charlotte. That means every team not named Vanderbilt and Charlotte has a better pass defense than the Tennessee Volunteers. So I'm about to get into a little bit of a, a little bit of a rant on what we probably are going to expect going into this Tennessee game here in a few weeks, if you want to go ahead and give your thoughts. Well, first off, I, just, I like it when you talk sexy with statistics. <laughs> so one thing I'll say going into this game and going into to some degree Mississippi State is, do you know how Kirby Smart used to – I know I'm, I'm doing a throwback here – how Kirby Smart used to prepare for um, Georgia Tech? I think I know what you're talking about, but tell me anyways. So under Jeff Collins, you know, the triple option, you know, you'd never see it. It's so hard to prepare for. Kirby Smart would start preparing his teams in the preseason. So every week they would do a triple option drill. Every week they would see it. They would practice it. They would live it. They would just have to have to have to deal with it. I'm willing to bet, and I don't know, I have no inside information. I'm willing to bet Kirby Smart's doing the same thing with the air raid all year long. You know, obviously the coaches know more about what they're facing and what's going on than than us fans, no matter the stats, no matter the numbers or time. Kirby Smart had to know that Tennessee was going to be much improved, that we were going to face a team that could throw the ball all around the field, and he's going to have his players ready for it. He's going to have us prepared. You know, I'll be honest, I didn't know these stats. It's kind of eye-opening. And looking at what 
you know, originally I would have told you, you know, before that, that my game plan to take down Tennessee would have been ball control and keep Hendon Hooker on the side and just run the ball down their throats. After looking at this, I think you may see some more of the passing game as an extension of the run game. You yeah. know, short, short intermediate passes, good completions, run the clock, and you still play ball control, but you attack their deficiencies. Um, because with that being said, I still I think our defense is better than Bama. Our secondary is, is lights out, you know, the majority of the time. We give up yards, we bend, we don't break this this year. I still don't want to get to shoot out with Tennessee. No. You know, I, I said it a long time ago and I got laughed at, you know, by Wes and other people. I truly think Tennessee's got one of the best wide wide receiver cores in the nation. And I don't want to get in a shootout against that. However, there's nothing stopping us from jumping out early, a couple key key turnovers and making it play. I, I love this. I love these stats you've given us. <laughs> so for what, you know, I'm putting myself in Kirby Smart shoes here and I know he's forgotten more about football than I'll ever know. I know that. But what I expect Georgia to do and what I think Georgia is capable of doing in this game, they're going to – I think that Georgia's offense against Tennessee is going to look, look a lot like the Buffalo Bills. And when I say that, the Buffalo Bills have very good running backs. They don't use them as running backs. It, their short passing game is an extension of the running game. And I personally expect a lot of plays where they isolate Kenny McIntosh or Brock, Darnell, Eric, Oscar Delt on one of these undisciplined linebackers that Tennessee has. You mean and Tristan? You mean, you mean all four of our stud tight ends? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm sorry. I think I know where you were going with that. But. And uh, and Tristan, before you come at me. Um, Yes, Tennessee's linebackers are extremely undisciplined because four of their top five tacklers for the entire season are defensive backs. And obviously your linebackers are not doing their job if they're not leading the team in tackles because their job is to literally either contain in the middle or on the outside. And if you can't do that and your defensive backs are making tackles, that means your front seven is not very good. Anyways. Well, and, you know, I will say this. I even, you know, told Tristan when he reached out to me before the game last weekend that I think I think Tennessee's pass rush is is fairly solid. But they didn't get to Bryce. One time. One one time. And, you know, one thing I'll say about Stett, who also, side note, is the exact same height as Bryce Young. And just as mobile. Right. Well, I think more. I, I think more. And I think you may see Stett run the ball more off of rollout options to quick passes to running backs. You may see him take off more for the simple fact of, and I, I don't, don't take this the wrong way. I don't wish this on anybody. If something happens to Bennett, we got somebody that can step in. Yeah. Where with Bryce Young, if something happens to him, we've seen his replacement and it doesn't look very good. Don't want to see him good. again. Yeah. Um, so I, I think, I think Stetson maybe one maybe, I'll give you a hot take now. I think Stetson's Georgia's leading rusher through the first three quarters of this game. I can see that. Something else that I think is very underrated, um, especially that game against Alabama and, you know, moving forward with this Tennessee defense, 
their starting safety, who was their better starting safety, was arrested for felony assault and is indefinitely suspended. When that happened Saturday? It happened last week, sometime through the week. Okay. Wow. So you're telling me that either one of your undisciplined linebackers or okay safeties and then your backup is going to have to cover one of the four tight ends from the best tight end room in college football history or Kenny McIntosh, who leads the team in receiving. That doesn't seem like a good matchup for that team. You know, we also we also have a couple actual receivers too, you know, if that's not enough. Right. And talking about AD being back healthy, Dominic Blaylock showing up, Lad McConkey. I don't get me wrong. I know on this show I talk mostly about the good things as far as Georgia's offense goes. And I understand that Tennessee has a very good offense. And I understand that their rush defense is in the 20s somewhere. I understand that. I understand that there's a good possibility this is a closer game than I am comfortable with. But I also think that the national media and especially a lot of fans that are not Georgia fans saying that, oh, go ahead and sign this game away. Tennessee wins by 14-plus. No questions asked. I think that is willfully ignorant because you're not looking at the actual stats behind these teams. I agree. So, and, and look, I mean, I, I'm the first one. Uh, you know, we talked about it on Monday. I'm the first one to give you know, a big shout out to Tennessee. You know, they, they conquered their beast. They beat they beat Alabama. I know what that feels like as a Georgia fan. But it just it, it, I don't think it is a true reflection of what the rest of the season is going to look like. And I don't think it's the true reflection of the team Tennessee is. I think it was just a true reflection of the team Tennessee was against Alabama, if that makes sense. I agree 100%. And this is something that I've told Tristan and I've got other friends that are Tennessee fans. And I've said this. I mean, I said it about Missouri when they came out and laid an egg against Florida. You don't see teams win two Super Bowls in one season. It doesn't happen. Yeah. Tennessee won their Super Bowl on Saturday. Now, if they can if they can get up again, if they can get up in that hostile environment of 93,746 people that are really fucking tired of hearing all this Tennessee talk, congratulations. I will personally congratulate Tristan. I'll call him on the phone and tell him hell of a job. I don't think it's going to be easy for either team, though. Well, look, you also – I mean, I – you know, after the Bama game, all I started hearing about was SEC championship and, like, everything was already decided. Tennessee needs to be careful for their upcoming games before Georgia because Georgia's not the next game. I know they got UT Martin this week, which is, you know, essentially a nobody, but then they got Kentucky. And Who Tennessee, just dismantled Mississippi State's offense. Yeah, and, and, and if Tennessee's not careful, that's kind of a hybrid of a, a look-ahead game and a potential big upset game all in one, you know, yep. because if you're if you're looking over two teams to get to Georgia, I, you know, there's a potential slip up there for Kentucky, and, and we know Stoops is anything other than a good defensive mind. I don't think I don't think Kentucky, I don't, I don't think Kentucky beats them, but that I would much rather have you know 
Florida before Tennessee than I would Mark Stoops. Oh, yeah. No, 100%. Especially with – I mean, we talked about it earlier. Florida's just not – they're not a good team. And not only are they not a good team, but there's parts of their locker room. There are starting players in their locker room that have openly posted on social media about yeah. wanting to transfer. Yeah, I think a lot of our – I mean, if we play the game we want to play, I think a decent amount of our defense is going to be going to be rested after the Florida game. And this is a this is a big look ahead, but I'm willing to bet Florida puts up more points than we would expect for the simple fact of we get, we get a comfortable and we start pulling secondary and defense to make sure we're healthy going into Tennessee. And I think Florida scores a couple trash time touchdowns. I can see that. So we talk, we've we've danced around the subject a few times. It's a game that I've said is going to be a lot more difficult than people think throughout the season. We've got Mississippi State. They are plus 367 yards in their yardage differential. And just to add a little bit of context onto that, they were last week, they were plus 620. And now they're plus 367. Back to that, Kentucky dismantled this Mississippi State offense. And obviously they pass much better than they run. But one thing that I think cannot be overlooked with this Mississippi State defense is they lead the SEC in interceptions. And they've got multiple corners that have started for three years now. So personally, uh, you know what? Go ahead and take on this one, and then I'll give my last few thoughts on it. Yeah, I'll be honest. I mean, I was I was kind of worried about Mississippi State a couple weeks ago, but whenever you have a team like Kentucky that does what they did to them and you're more talented than Kentucky, you just watch that game film. And, you know, Kirby's anything, you know, if, he, if he's anything, he's a student of the game. I, I think Georgia has a really good day against, uh, against Mississippi State. I think we match up pretty well. I like our, you know, their corners are pretty solid, but their corners aren't covering Darnell Washington on a, on a weekly basis. I think our no uh, corner could cover Darnell Washington no. on a weekly basis. That, that, that's fair. I, I think our tight end room has a has a big day against Mississippi State, and I'm not nearly as concerned with them as I was before. Yeah, no. I the more I look into the numbers behind this team, I am also much less stressed out about this game. I still do have the concern of their offense is designed to to attack the parts of Georgia's defense that are young. Uh, inside linebackers and star position. That's where most of the youth is on this team. I mean, Javon Bullard, who's played extremely well so far this year, and same with the inside linebackers. They've never played an air raid offense. And like I said, I'm sure Kirby Smart's been preparing them. Um, but it's still practice is a lot different than a game. So for the offense on this, I truly expect this to be ground and pound. Mississippi State uses a 3-3-5 defense, which is three down linemen, three linebackers, and five defenders, meaning that it's going to be light boxes. And if it's not a light box and the box is, you know, the area directly in front of the offensive line. So if they don't have extra guys up to stop the run, Branson Robinson, Kendall Milton, I think those big, strong workhorses are going to have a day against Mississippi State. I mean, we saw what Chris Rodriguez did 
against them last week. And, uh, you know, it might be a bold take as of right now, but I think a healthy Kendall Milton is better than C-Rod, and I think Branson Robinson in his junior or senior year is significantly better than C-Rod. So, yeah, I think this is going to be – I think Georgia could potentially have multiple 100-yard rushers in this game just because the game plan is going to be force them – to beat you up front, and if they can't beat you up front, why do anything else? Yeah, I can see that. I, I think potentially, and this is again looking looking down the road a little bit. Something Georgia's going to have to manage is if we have a a big game against Tennessee, and it comes down to a fourth quarter, you know, and when you, we pull out the win, you know that we don't need to follow that up with a letdown against Mississippi State team on the road. You know, a lot of times you give it all you got, you leave it all in the field. It can take some time to recover, and we got to deal with those flipping cowbells, which I still I, don't know, see how it's legal. Some people hate the cowbells. It is that the cowbells are the reason I was trying to go to the this Mississippi State game this year. I I want to see the environment. I I'm I'm on the same train of thought as Jay Woody. I I think if Mississippi State does it and they only have to pay a small fine every year for it, every team should do it. You're telling me Georgia well, don't have the max cap of $10,000 a year to pay that fine? As someone who's been to the game and heard the cowbells, as long as you want to hear them in your sleep for the next three to six weeks, go ahead. Oh, it, when I go to sleep, all I hear is, Tinnitus is a bitch. Ah, fair enough. Yeah, I, it, I don't like them, but it is what it is. I don't think it's really that makes that big of a difference in the game, but I Mississippi State is a trip that I will be making here in the next couple of years. It's a cool area. It really, I mean, granted, it's been several years ago that I went when I was in when I was in college, but it, it's a cool area. It's a great environment. Uh, the fans back then were really cool. Um, it, it was it was a memorable spot, and you know. Mississippi State's opponent last week is the next one we're going to talk about here. Kentucky is 548 yards of yardage differential positive. Um, and like we just said, that has doubled from last week after beating up on Mississippi State. In To me, this is the shock of the season. Kentucky is significantly better passing the ball than running the ball. And just based on having a dual-threat quarterback who's mistake-prone, this being their worst offensive line in recent memory, having C-Rod, who's healthy after missing the first four games, never – I would have put – I'd have bet the house that they had a better run attack than pass attack. I would have to. Uh, that, that's kind of shocking to me. Um, but if you guys remember – Way, 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 way back in the season, Wes and I went on and on about getting these young pass rushers experience, right? I said it in probably three episodes in a row going against these no-name teams and South Carolina. You got to get these young guys experience for later in the season. Georgia is, last time I checked, 119 in sacks in the country, which as I always say, it's 131 teams. 119 is not good. 
not sacking the quarterback, not getting to the quarterback. And I think that's going to be critical for this game in Lexington because the run defense has been great. The pass defense has been great. But Will Levis is one of those few guys that is capable of putting the team on his back if given the opportunity. And the fact that Georgia has not been able to get to the quarterback that well this year concerns me in this game. Yeah, I mean, obviously you want more sacks, you want more big, you know, big, big time plays. But you know, something to, to worth mentioning is let's not forget that you know a sack is not the only way to disrupt the play. Uh, I'm looking up the stats now um, because I, I believe Georgia is still fairly up there with, with quarterback hurries, quarterback pressures. Um, I can tell you well, that they are tied for 125th in sacks after this weekend. Yeah, sacks were de- definitely low, but uh, you know, you don't necessarily have to sack the quarterback to to get pressure, throw him off his game, um, make him make a bad decision. And I think while we don't necessarily have to you know up our sack game, we definitely got to be in the backfield. We definitely got to have a presence. We got to get Levis throwing off his back foot, throwing across his body, you know making quick decisions and, and, and get a couple uh, a couple good good turnovers. Now, I don't think Georgia's really going to be in a position to, to lose this game. Right. But it is in Lexington, though. And I've, I've never been to a game in Lexington, but I have heard these night games in Lexington get, get pretty wild. And, you know, for whatever reason, Kentucky at Kentucky has been a night game for like the last three trips. Yeah, it's a cool spot. I turned 21 in a parking lot outside of the stadium in Lexington to Kentucky. Um, it was really cold, and we were poor and had a tent. Uh, Georgia won, though. That helped. Um, it's another great environment. You know, Kentucky's a, a good spot with really, really cool fans. Uh, probably one of the best football, at least, fan bases my, or favorites that I have. You know, they're, they're just a, a good group of humble people. I don't think Georgia's ever really in a spot to lose this game. With that being said, all it takes is not calling anybody out, but all it takes is Lad to have a performance like he did a couple weeks ago or a couple miscues where this game is a lot tighter than we want it to be. Um, So clear execution, clear game plan, and and I think we'll be fine here as well. And you can't forget last year, uh, Tennessee or Kentucky did what they did to get a garbage time touchdown at the end with their starters and on offense and our third string in and all that kind of stuff. But what that tells you is that this team doesn't give up, period. Which that, you know, I understand this has been a lot of skies falling conversation here, but Kentucky's a dangerous team if you don't play at your best because they are not willing to give up no matter what. Yeah. So, question. Do you think Kirby remembers that? And if he can, he runs the score up? Yes. Kirby's petty. And I love it. Trust me. As soon as uh, as soon as they scored fifty five on Vanderbilt in sixty two last year, and I I saw a rumor that Georgia was going to bring back seniors from twenty twenty that were able to come to this game against Vanderbilt to give them like a senior day. And I don't know if that happened. I just heard a rumor about it. And I know Rodrigo was there, but I don't think he was a senior then. Right. Yeah. No, I I love how petty Kirby is. I'm here for it. So, 
last game we're going to briefly touch on is the game versus the joke by Cope. And they have earned that name all too well this year. They are minus 159 in yardage differential. That means they have given up 159 more yards than they have gained. And this this really doesn't need to be much of a breakdown. I mean, they've already fired their coach, and another coach quit last week just out of nowhere, and he was like, I'm out. I ain't doing this no more. Um, but I personally, when the SEC expands in 2025, I would not be shocked at all if this is no longer an annual rivalry because it hasn't really been one in a long time. I was going to say that that's that's saying that it's a rivalry now. I will say this. I give credit to the interim. I mean, and, and I'll give some credit to the, to the team and players as well. You know, their season's already done. The coach gets fired, and the guys stepped up. They're on a two-game winning streak. I mean, and they haven't looked awful. They beat I mean, Pitt, who took yeah. Tennessee to overtime. Yeah. I mean, they beat Pitt. Uh, they beat Duke, who uh, obviously not a big, not a big powerhouse, but you know. So they definitely turned it around. Um, I don't think there's a whole lot to uh, to say about this one. I don't think it's a rivalry. I don't think Georgia struggles here at all. Um, yeah, yeah I, I think big game. But so that's going to do it for our kind of rest of the season look ahead. Now that we had the time here in the bye week. Um, so, you know, it's my show. I'm going to talk a little bit of F1 stuff. Just, just a little bit. Just, you know, if you guys decide not to watch the NFL on Sunday, the race will be on ESPN. So, technically, the F1 season's already crowned a champion, which... It's weird how they do it. It's like a driver's points thing. And unlike NASCAR, it doesn't go into a playoff. Um, a guy named Max Verstappen has won his second world title in a row. He races for Red Bull, which Red Bull does have a Formula One team. Would take that for what you will. Um, so the good thing is there's a potential for rain. And when you have cars that are capable of going 215 miles an hour on a track with elevation changes in the rain, wild stuff is bound to happen. And you've got a lot of drivers that are towards the middle of the field that don't necessarily have seats for next year or contracts to keep racing that are quite literally going to be putting it on all on the line to get contracts for next year. So if you want some wild stuff to happen, first lap, first like five laps and last like five laps, it's worth a shot. If you haven't watched it, it's worth watching. And I highly recommend the uh, docuseries on Netflix about F1 if you're at all interested in getting into it. But as we've said before, pretty much our social media is going to be a lot of F1 content this weekend because that's where I'm going to be all day, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, and if you have an opportunity to go to a race and don't really care all that much, for example... This weekend, I'm getting a free Green Day concert and a free Ed Sheeran concert because I'm going to the race. So, could be worse. I've been to Dega for whatever that's worth. Well, I've been to tons of NASCAR races. It was mostly just for the free booze. 
Yeah, uh, I uh, I know nothing about NASCAR, so that's the limit of my uh, I I know nothing about NASCAR F one, F three, F eight, so I, I can contribute nothing here. No, I if you are at all interested in it and you have free time, that Netflix series will get you hooked. And this is the last season for a guy that has won four world titles. Um, he's retiring at the end of this season, so it's going to be cool to see what he's able to do. And on top of all that, Shaq presents the trophies at the U.S. Grand Prix in Austin. You may have seen clips from last year. He had a wood, wood-bodied Cadillac, like they put wood all over the body of this Cadillac. Because why not? They had giant longhorns on the grill. And he rode in on the back because he was too big to fit. So he like sat on the trunk. And then he stood next to these drivers who they have to be small to fit in these cars and not add a ton of weight. The guy that was standing on top of the podium was shorter than Shaq. While he was standing on the podium, Shaq was on the ground, which was funny. Kevin Hart out there racing. Yeah. No, it, it was funny. It's a good time. Like I said, if you get bored of an NFL game, it's worth a watch. Um, and our social media is going to be covered with it this weekend. So that's kind of my short little spiel on that. Do you have anything else you want to talk about before we get out of here? I don't think so, man. It's been a great episode and a great preview. I agree. I've had a great time. And if this is the last time, at least for now, that you're on the show with me, I really appreciate you coming on and taking over for Wes the last couple of weeks. And I know our listeners have enjoyed it as well. I just want to give a big shout out and thank you for uh, helping me out here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I've had a, uh, a fantastic time doing it. Other than the fact that I'm losing my weekly listening stuff because, you know, you don't want to listen after you after you participate. But no, man, it's been my honor and privilege being on here. I appreciate you having me. No problem. No problem. So as we always close it out, guys, follow our Instagram at nothing.finer.pod. Our Twitter is at finerpod. Join the Facebook group by searching Nothing Finer Podcast on Facebook. If you rate and review the show, send me a screenshot. I will send you a sticker. Um, and then I'm going to keep shouting it out, our ASW giveaway. The more people we get to interact, the more cool stuff we can get, you know, maybe have some opportunities to do some super cool stuff down the road as a group. We got to get more people involved. All the instructions are on our Instagram, um, and we're giving away a bottle of ASW Fiddler, a Fiddler t-shirt, and an ASW hat, along with one of our stickers, one of our koozies, and a t-shirt that the design is in that Instagram post. Um, once again, share it with your friends. Share the show with your friends. The, the more we can grow, the more cool stuff we can do. So any help is a lot of help. But if you don't have anything else, I think we'll go ahead and close it out here. Let's do it. Always remember, guys, there is nothing finer in the land than a drunk, obnoxious Georgia fan. Go dogs. Go dogs. Biggest third down in Bryce Young's career. You need 10. Play clock at four. From the pocket. Launching downfield. Underthrown. 
and intercepted. Kaylee Ringo has an escort down the sidelines. All the way to the end zone, and Georgia is going to conquer the Crimson Tide.